This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. This is What Happens If with Daniel and Yarn on Joy. had your little thought to yourself at about 6.53, you said, ooh, yeah, I'm going to flick that dial. Do people call it a dial? Dial. Dial. Dial, 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 dial. Uh, you flicked it over to 94.9, didn't you? You did. You know you did. Or you're listening to the podcast, in which case there's no dial. It's just, it's just a screen, just a black screen, just a black mirror. You ever thought about the title of that show and what it really means? Let's think about the title of this show and what that really means. What happens if Yanda Pietro, that's me, Joy 94.9, that's the radio station. I can still see it. Look, I'm in the studio. It's just me. And it says Joy all around the place. There is no doubt, there's no doubt in my mind right at this moment that I'm broadcasting on Joy 94.9. And all you lucky ducks, you get to listen in for another week of What Happens If, where this week I'm focusing in, I'm focusing in on what happens if a robot takes your job. Now, we're going to get into this a little deeper, perhaps a, a bit deeper than anyone would like including myself, because this is a bit of a mind-bender. I mean, how do you start to think about the prospect of the artificial intelligence that we currently have all around us becoming everything? Now, I just heard you all go, whoa, 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 everything? Yarn, please. To that I say, yes, everything. Think about that moment, I don't know, 15 years ago, where the prospect of having a thin, stylish device in your pocket that gives you access to everything we've ever done if you type the right thing in to the search engine pick your BYO search engine think about that moment 15 years ago the speed with which we are moving forward in the space of artificial intelligence and 
to that end uh, as well, automation, robotics, uh, has far-reaching implications for all of us. You know, we're a, we are nothing short of a flourishing nation. I mean, we've got our own set of pressing issues. There's no doubt about that. And I'm going to put that to our guest today, Jim Minifee from Alpha Beta, formerly of the Grattan Institute, who I've spoken a little bit with him, uh, before our, before our interview today. And, um, I'm really looking forward to that as a result. I think it's going to be a great conversation. And this is a guy who is close to the relationship between automation, economics, employment, um, the shape of our economy. And, uh, I'm really looking forward to putting some of my most pressing questions to him. Let's just do a little bit of prep work here. So can you imagine just a formula, a basic mathematical formula for perception? And by that I mean, can you hope that you would be able to write down on a piece of paper and input into a software a kind of formula that actually explained everything about what it means to perceive reality in the way that you do. Ugh. Oh boy, this is, this is like that thing where you see that photo of, you know, the Hubble telescope and it has those photos of just in one image you've got a billion galaxies. And you just go, oh, I've had enough. <laughs> Someone put on the nanny. I'd rather just hear Fran Drescher talk about how she's not married. <laughs> uh, if you watch that show now, oh boy, it's dated a little bit. I'll give it that. It's vintage. In the last episode I watched, oh man, I'm really on a tangent now. In the last episode I watched uh, with my girlfriend Susie, um, she was wearing a, uh, a a red sort of very bright red denim jacket, the collar of which was apparently made entirely of daffodils. <laughs> oh, Miss Fine. That's, I mean, in the best episodes of those shows is the compilation episode where they've got nothing left to write about. So they give you little scene segues into playbacks of old funniest moments ever on the show. Oh man, that's, that's killing time. Not in any way like the way that I'm killing time right now by talking about the nanny when I'm meant to be talking about <laughs> the future of employment in the country. Another thing I'd love for you to consider is could your job be automated or algorithmed out of your life? What would it look like for you if we managed to invent the last invention ever that could just think better than you, organize better than you, Oh, that's already there. Organizing better than you. I think these are things that are really worth 
contemplating. So that's what we're going to do, 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 do. Whoa, easy boy. That is what we are going to do today. I've devoted the show to it because I spend time thinking about it. And now you're, you're, I'm forcing you to think about it also. And sometimes that ain't such a bad thing. Um, so I look forward to it. Up next, we have Jim Minifee. And if we're lucky, technically speaking, if we're lucky, we might have a little catch up with Dan. Yeah, that'd be nice. All right, stay with me. Join 94.9. This is What Happens If. Back soon. You're listening to What Happens If on Joy 94.9. My name's Jan Pietro. This week, we're asking what happens if a robot takes your job. Now, robots, we're not talking like robots, I don't think, in the sense like uh, Terminator or anything like that. I'm having a bit more of a focus on the role of automation in employment and the development of AI software and how that looks for Australia. And um, I've got pretty much the perfect guest here to speak about that. It is Jim Minifee from Alpha Beta. Uh, Jim's a um, managing consultant. Did I get that right? Is yeah, that we do strategy and economics. So yeah, I'm, yeah. An, I'm an economist. Uh, you know, I actually, I was um, having a little look at, at Alpha Beta and it says um, on part of the website that you do macroeconomic analysis. So can you take us through a little bit of a rundown on what that looks like and how... Oh, my first question was, how do you get from analysis to application? Yeah, that's right. So as a consulting firm, you're always thinking about what your clients are interested in, but you want to make a contribution to the broader dialogue mm. as well. And we've been fortunate to do work that does play into the issue that you're wanting to talk about today, which is around automation. Mm. And obviously... You can do all the analysis you like, but unless you're doing work on issues that matter to people, nobody's going to care. And so in, on this issue of automation, mm. we we do a mixture of trying to figure out what the big issues are for society and mm. then look at unconventional and conventional data sources and try to understand what they tell us about yeah. how automation has changed. And then we have a special crystal ball in the basement that we look into as well that I can take you through. <laughs> um, I, perhaps this is partly what you're talking about or maybe it leads into it. I, the, the reason why Alpha Beta sort of came across my computer was because I did a little search about automation and employment and one of the, one of the fun games that came up online was via the ABC where you can basically plug in your job title. And it gives you a sort of a percentage breakdown on how much of that job will be automated or can already be automated. I think if for the listeners, if you Google, maybe you can tell us exactly. But if basically I Googled, um, can a robot do my job? And it sort of came up and you can sort of go there and plug it in. And I think Alpha Beta was behind that. That's right. So that's based on detailed work that we did looking at the tasks that people do in their jobs. Mm. And one of the fundamental, I think, insights from that work, and it's not original to us yep. is that technology can change tasks a lot without necessarily removing jobs in it in their entirety yeah right so it's a different thing these days to be a radio show host than it used to be you're far more yep. technologically i'm looking at you right now yarn surrounded by panels of yep all kinds of um world controlling buttons don't press the wrong one yeah and in the past it would have just been i presume one mic and a and a switch so the yeah the role changes that's partly driven by technology but it doesn't mean mm. the job vanishes and that's one of the fundamental points that we observe in the data as well that over time you see big shifts in what people do inside 
roles. Yeah. But the roles don't vanish typically. Yeah. So that's that's uh, interesting to follow that. So he, you're right. Here I am. I'm sitting in there's three keyboards and four screens, and the screens are performing tasks. Uh, that once upon a time would have been performed by two or three people, perhaps the other side of the the, the other side of the the perspex here. Um, so what right. we're saying partly is that the job itself changes, so that I can be more self sufficient here, for example. But there are other jobs too created in the sense that someone had to build the software. Someone had to. So is this sort of where we're yeah. heading? Whereby it's a bit well, of a trade-off. Yeah, so it's a it's a it's a great uh, case study because you would say, well, if there used to be back in the day three or four, four people in a radio station doing what you now do, yep. then the question is, well, what happened to those jobs and where did those people sort of putatively go? And when you look across the whole economy, it's very clear over the decades, technology continues to advance, mm. but the employment to population ratio doesn't really shift that much. Right. So go back 100 years, you know, more people were working on farms and more people were doing manual work than they Mm. do now. Mm. But the fraction of people in work hasn't shifted nearly as much as the way that we do jobs has shifted. And so how that might play out here is, well, there are actually more radio stations, more media is being produced than in the past. Because it's easier to produce radio. Much more diversity Mm. because the the lower uh, cost of producing it yeah. uh, makes it possible to do more. And so there's a sense in which you get more diversity and the economy shifts towards things that machines can't do in the labour market. And so you end up finding people doing far more interpersonal work or far more mm. interpretive work than they would have in the past where it was more manual and more routine. Mm. You mentioned to me um, the, the role of sharing in the economy and right. peer-to-peer systems and I can, I, I'm sort of immediately thinking of podcasting, right? If I make my own podcast in my basement and I deliver it direct to an audience, is that a sort of what we mean in peer to peer in terms of, in my case, producing something? And how does that shift out into other industries? Yeah. So, I, I mean, I would, I would include that as a form of self-employment, if you like. Yeah, right. And, um, uh, what's what's quite striking and I think really fresh in a lot of people's minds when they think about the labour market is that compared to 40 or 50 years ago, we've got a lot more casual employment than, yep. we, than we did mm-hmm. at that point. But actually that trend stopped about 15 years ago and there's been, if anything, a small move away from self-employment over the last mm. five or ten years as well. And so... The area in which technology has made a big difference mm. is that where formerly transaction costs, quote-unquote, search, yeah. trying to find the right partner and so forth were very high, those things have fallen very, very sharply. And so now it's possible to, you know, for an Uber or an Airbnb, which is not labour, but nevertheless yep. transactions to occur over platforms uh, in a way that was um, not possible in the past, yep. and those things have shifted how some independent work is done, and probably have boosted the amount of independent contracting. There's a whole set of interesting societal issues about how do you manage risk, and what about people's superannuation, and mm. so forth that come up in those contexts. But as a matter of numbers, the fraction of people that are doing independent contracting and casual work ha- haven't shifted much. The fraction of people that are doing significant amounts of work on platforms 
is still really low. Mm. Probably less than 1% of people do work via a platform in any given month. Right. Most of them are rideshare drivers. Yeah. And the bigger picture of technology shift, which is, as you say, around automation, artificial intelligence and robots in the future, and then in the past there's been obviously a whole range of technology pushing the economy around Mm. over time, is way, way bigger than the peer-to-peer or sharing economy impacts on on employment. Yeah, right. Uh, So in terms of automation, so I think about the the popular narrative, I guess, or the popular narrative to, to get worried about automation is that so many individuals, maybe it's a driver, that's a fairly common thing that I've read is that drivers, truckies, you're done in a few years. Um, so if the numbers, like you say, are telling right. us that things remain fairly consistent, yeah, is it just inevitably a, a painful shift for a select group of people at any given time? Well, there's nothing in economics that tells you that the distribution of income is going to remain what it is today yep. or that it's good. Yeah, right. So let's take truck driving. It's the biggest single occupation in the US and I mm. imagine it must be among the top in Australia yeah. as well. And at some point in the future, we don't know when, current truck driving tasks will increasingly shift towards being automated. Now, when that happens is subject to great dispute, but let's yep. assume it happens big time. Hmm. What's going to happen? Okay, you've got people at different stages in their careers. Some of them, if they're young enough, are eminently um, able to respond and they're going to retrain and maybe those are the people that are going to exit first. People who are later in their careers for whom it's just not really feasible to retrain, right? If you're in the mid, mid to late 50s, you're a few years out of retirement, yep. what are you going to do? Incur, you know, three or four years retraining cost and yep. can you even do it and so forth. So you can imagine that occupation is going to trend older as yep. people who've got fewer alternatives stick around. Incomes will tend to fall uh-huh. and life could be tough for a group of people if mm. that change is fast enough. Fast enough, And right. so a huge part of, I guess, the way economists think about how technology shifts things in the labour force is to think not just about jobs but also about incomes, about wages, mm. right? So... You know, economics 101, price matters as well as quantity. And so here, wage matters as well as, as, uh, as jobs. Yeah. And so the, uh, to my mind, the real concern is we shift to a society if technology is really pushing hard, particularly to substitute for, um, less formally trained work or work that's already got a fairly low market wage rate. Okay. If technology is tending to push that down really strongly, then you have bad impacts on income distribution mm-hmm. and we'll need to think about how to respond to that. Now, that's not guaranteed to occur, but it's not so much that, you know, you're not going to have jobs, right? But you could you could shift from, let's call it, a high-skilled uh, economy where even people with relatively low formal qualifications are earning good incomes to a world where that's no longer true. So mm-hmm. imagine moving from, I don't know, a Germany to a US where the, the bottom end of the wage distribution is much lower, right? Yeah, right. Life's really tough if you're 
at that low end of the labor market in the US. Yeah. And so I think that's the key question just to think about. What will automation do to the distribution of jobs and wages? Mm. Maybe it's going to move to a world where there's a high-skilled group of people who are, quote-unquote, telling the computers what to do, and then there's a low-skilled group of people who are doing things that computers are telling them what to do or doing things that um, otherwise are, are, um, are just have a low market value. Yeah. I, um, I'm keen to get your comment. We'll, we'll head to a break in a minute. You're listening to Joy 94.9. Um, we're asking the question, what happens if a robot takes your job? And we're looking into that with Jim here. And um, I'm wondering, I wanted to just get your comment because it really piqued my interest. I was listening to um, a historian, Yuval Noah Harari, a wonderful right. writer who, is, yes. who I enjoy, and um, I, I think he speaks quite eloquently on this. And he he brought up the term irrelevance, and he was speaking about the reaction from the U.S. population and their their grief around their job, their jobs, the loss of right. jobs, and about this feeling of ir- irrelevance. And he says that it's a a warranted feeling of irrelevance. Do you think right. that that shift is? Um, coming in the in in the, yeah. in the decades ahead. Look, I mean, I think that U.S. experience is really instructive. Yeah, manufacturing was hollowed out in the U.S. Mm. in a way that really hit some regions much more heavily than in Australia. Despite the fact that globalization, re- reduction of tariffs, rise of China as a major manufacturing center, mm. pushed down prices of manufactured goods everywhere, and it hit manufacturers in many parts of the world. But it was more pronounced in the US where manufacturing was bigger. And those trade effects, which in some sense are driven by technology too, are a good case study or a way to think about what might happen with a big technology shift. Mm. Overall, GDP in the US per person probably rose as a result of those shifts Mm -hmm. because the prices of manufacturers fell for everybody. Mm. But there was this concentrated you know, job loss and livelihood loss and, as you say, relevance loss for yeah. people in the Rust Belt. And that was really tough and very, very destructive yeah. and obviously took place in a context with the US level of social security, um, safety nets and mm. job transition support and so forth. And so I, I think there's no question that you could have that type of impact if technology is has a highly localised effect, you know, particularly geographically, but also just at different skill sets. Yeah, yeah. And you really need to uh, to be to be thinking about how you train up the workforce to ensure that mm. people can make the transition sufficiently fast, um, and and retain relevance. Yeah. Right. Uh, so now I <laughs> I've done a lot of work in my own um, study around. Uh, the role of AI in the creative industry. So part of my degree is looking at um, creative writing. And it just feels like the deeper I look, <laughs> the more there is uh, around what is already possible um, with AI software and, and hardware. You know, I've, I, you know, didn't have to look too far to find out that there's a great, film editing software AI that can just edit the perfect film and, you know, Hollywood has already uh, cre- created film um, film teasers, the perfect film teaser created by AI in record time because it just learns everything about uh, what a good teaser is for a horror film and goes bang. So oh, I guess my question is around 
I've heard that Australia seems to be a little behind the eight ball in terms of in, uh, innovation, maybe not quite the right word, but in terms of AI homegrown innovation, I suppose. And I'm wondering if if there's any way that a, that a country can remain sort of, I guess, um, protected from from the coming storm or whether you've got yeah. to get on the train as soon as you can and try and catch up. So, sure, you can put up barriers. Yeah, right. And you tend to move towards, you know, the North Korean level of yeah, income right. because there's just so much in the world economy that is... Uh, highly scale dependent and globalized. Yeah, sure. So that's probably the wrong answer, and probably the right answer is to try to accelerate mm. while ensuring that we're we're bringing everybody along through that right combination of skills and the safety net. You know, people are talking about UBI, universal basic income, and so forth, mm. which is expensive if you do it yeah. in a truly universal way. Yeah. How um, do you how do you sit on that? Just briefly, well, how do you? Yeah. So uh, Australia is an outlier amongst the OECD countries in being less universal right. in most of our safety net, and that means it's more affordable. Now, we haven't got it right. all right. I, don't, I, I think there's now broadly, and there has been for quite some time, a consensus that New Start is way too low. It's, you know, mm. you can't live on it. It's very destructive. It's hard to, you know, even buy the clothes you need and travel to do your job search. Um uh, but that doesn't mean that the right answer is a universal basic income. It means mm. there should be an, an appropriate level of taxes and transfers to support, yep. uh, you know, what we as a society think is appropriate. So I, I think the, um, the, the challenge for a country like Australia is we are less plugged into those global value chains. Yeah. We have been very, very lucky with the mining boom giving us a huge boost to our ability to buy imports from overseas mm -hmm. because effectively the rest of the world wanted to buy things that we had to dig out of the ground and there's just a there's always this risk that um you know if there's a, a significant scale component to an, a, a technology taking off we might be too small. Mm, right. And so I think it is something that we've got to be really focused on. Maybe not such the lucky country in that situation. <laughs> yeah. So far we've been very Not lucky. our own fault. <laughs> so far. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right. We will return in a, in a minute um, after these ads with uh, Jim here talking about what happens if a robot takes your job. Be right back. This is Joy 94.9. Welcome back to What Happens If. You're listening to Jan de Pietro and Jim Minifee from Alpha Beta. Uh, we are talking about what happens if a robot takes your job. I'm going to shift my mic like that just because it feels better. Um, and um, so we left off, and at the at the top of our conversation, you spoke about leading me through, uh, I think, to do with the um, task-oriented breakdown of, of jobs in relation to automation. Can you take us through that a little bit more in detail? Yeah, sure. So you observed that um, one of the things that we did was just to break down what is actually done in jobs. Yeah. And you, you can obviously do that in a number of ways, but one way to think about it is some things are more automatable than others. Um, and so, for example, if you are doing highly routine, whether it's physical or or uh, intellectual work, then those tend to be more easy to automate. Whereas if you're working in a much more fluid environment requiring a lot of judgment and interpersonal skills and mm. synthesis and mm -hmm. so forth, and those things typically are going to be more difficult to automate. And there has been a shift 
over time towards those more, if you like, interpersonal mm. information synthesis, team leadership, yeah. you know, these sort of roles. I, I'll just cut in there. I, I remember I was looking for a job. That's ironic. Um, but I remember seeing someone had the title um, people at such and such company. And that to me sort of speaks to the shifting landscape a little bit, doesn't it? Your right. job is people. Right. Exactly. Right? So all and the there, tasks must be interpersonal. Yeah. Mm. And, and, and not only that, but there are so many roles now that did not exist in the past. Yep. So, you know, mm. podcast distribution manager or yep. AI social coordinator, etc. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, There's a lot yeah. of those yeah. sort of roles. And so I think the, the sort of, rosy outlook would say well we're going to continue to shift in that direction they're better jobs anyway they pay more they're more satisfying they're safer and so forth and i think you know we'd we'd be wise to look at the last hundred years and say well who exactly would like the less automated uh job that was on offer in 1917 i think you'd sort of prefer or 1918 i think you prefer today's version yeah but but you, Jan, you mentioned, and I think it's really worth considering, has there been a, a, a step change with the emergence of this, you know, extremely powerful deep learning algorithms combined with large data sets that seem to suddenly put machines at the forefront of playing chess or Go or whatever it might yeah. be in a way that um, is probably more acceler- accelerated than people had anticipated. And I, I think here it's just really critical to think through, well... How a technology impacts the labour force depends on, among other things, who owns it and how they sell it. Mm. And so there are some interesting links between technology and market power. One future might be one where it's just a handful of major global tech firms who are the ones with the big data sets and the insights into how people behave and all of the cameras and what have you from self-driving cars Mm. that somehow feeds along with the technology to produce an unbreakable lead, yeah, yeah, such that small market entrants can't get in, such that the technologies that are driven, AI and robotics that are driven through those scale assets, are sold effectively at monopoly prices. Mm. Uh, so that's one world, right? Mm-hmm. That's a world where it's very difficult for people to get ahead, yeah. right? Yeah. They're going to be limited in their pricing power because if they want to put us all out of work, well, they're mm. going to have to be cheap enough to do that. But yeah. nevertheless, it's a very different world if you say, uh, yeah. well, this is a technology that's somehow more scalable and more democratic and mm. we can deploy it uh, in a more open-sourced fashion, Yeah, right? And so there's a, there's a huge debate about the linkage between the character of the technology and the what actually happens in the market, yeah. which I, I is going to play out. Yeah, I can't help but think of that. I think it was on the front page cover page of the economist and it's and it was the you know the tech behemoths and their labels on their islands and just a body of water underneath you know the the you know whether it's right. um google or or apple or whatever they're yeah. all above water and everyone else drowns yeah. uh, because like you say they're collecting data and, at such a rate yeah now i find those scenarios a bit far fetched really i mean my sense is you know, you look at any given generation, there's always a set of monopolies that people are concerned about and they yeah. seem to find it difficult to continue to innovate and yeah. they stumble and get replaced and then there's another generation of yeah. different firms that people have got similar concerns about. And when we looked at that in work that I did when I was at the Grattan Institute, at least in the Australian context, there's been no shift towards yeah, right. higher market 
presence of the largest firms over the last 15 years at least, unlike in the US where there has been a, a more significant rise. Mm. So, uh, you know, I, I guess for me one of the takeaways is we don't really know how AI and robotics are going to play out. Mm. It's possible that market dynamics will quote-unquote take care of it and it will become a utility technology that uh, people can use for their own uh, uh, benefits or it may prove to be you know, linked up to market power in such a way that we'll have to think about regulating. I think those things are just uh, not not well understood at this stage. Yeah, uh, I um last week I spoke to a guy named Ben who is involved with um peer to peer voting system on the blockchain, and they're attempting wow, to get all the buzzwords. Into the, I, hey, <laughs> we love buzzwords. I love them. Love them all. Um, and uh, it felt like to me that those kinds of um, those kinds of uh, projects are the kinds of ones that are going to be more attractive to people in a world where, like you say, there's a threat of of um, drowning, I suppose. Yeah, and that battle between, if you like, open source versus proprietary mm. uh, technology has been around for a long, long time mm. and it gets fought on a number of fronts, technology and also through the courts and legislation around in- intellectual property protection, and not to mention the tax system. So there's a broad... Yeah set of arenas. So I think it would be wrong to conclude, look, robots are going to take my job. There's been very little evidence that that's been occurring to date. However, robots might change your wage, right? (laughs) And how it does that depends on the things we've just been talking about. Yeah. I remember, um, and we just spoke about Richard Offever, I remember Richard Dennis was really wonderful in the way that he distilled the idea of wages that um, the word, he sort of spoke about it in a way where the word has been hijacked, uh, in a way where um, the the wage is not understood to be literally what it is. You know, he was speaking in the context the context of you know if there's a if you want a really great great way to um, lower wages, then cut penalty rates. That's a really great and obvious way to to lower wages. So I wonder if there's a just at the moment in the current public sphere if there's a if there's a profound kind of misunderstanding of of the relationship of wages with the economy? Yeah, it's an interesting question. Uh, I think Australia has been protected to a significant extent from some of the extremes that you've seen in the US for reasons mm. that we touched on before. Yeah. Uh, in, in part, less exposed to that China trade shock, yeah. um, for one thing, and obviously the whole skill distribution of population, bargaining power of major firms and so forth, very different. Um, so there's always a class struggle that goes on yeah. alongside yeah. the quote-unquote market economy mm. and how that plays out is around union density and bargaining power and through yep. the political system, do you have mm. minimum wages and so forth. And no doubt those things are going to uh, play out in the context of technology as well. But what we see in the data would tell us there's a huge upside, productivity upside from accelerating automation and you can bring everybody along if you skill people up and have the right social institutions to do it. And to my mind, the other reason that's really attractive, mm. excuse me, is that we've got lots of um, needs that we want to meet in society, whether it's mm. aged care, handling climate change, right? I mean, there's a huge long list of yeah. things that we'd like to be able to do more of. And one way to do that is to find machines to do the things that we, we're currently doing. Mm. So there's there's um, 
there's a there's a big opportunity cost from trying to slow down automation. Yeah. And the key thing is how do you set things up so that everybody gets to benefit? Yeah, it's almost like uh, we need to be able to think about what we might miss out on before we miss out on it. Yeah, uh, that's right. In, in, a, in a really uh, maybe not urgent, but getting urgent sense. I wonder. Um, how you know my my brain logically goes to the place where I think about AI or algorithms, perhaps more specifically, being able to innovate themselves. You know, I've heard uh, Nick Bostrom and others speak about that the, right. the, it's the last invention we'll ever make. Yes. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's a fascinating arena. So if you think about this sort of general purpose intelligence yeah. that is superior to ours, yeah. then in some sense you could say, well, what do we do after that mm. point? And different authors have speculated about when that might occur and, yeah. you know, Seems sometime so the, the, in the next century. So yeah. used to be... 20, 2060, fairly... I think, is somewhere around the ballpark of the consensus yeah. among among a certain set of intellectuals, yeah. I suppose. Yeah, look, um, the way I felt when I woke up this morning, I think there are currently machines that would outperform me. So I think it's, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Depends yeah. on the day. <laughs> yeah. Oh, not to mention the eight hours you were asleep. <laughs> I, I, in my dreams, I was doing great. <laughs> oh, yeah, me too, actually. Um, so do you have a, uh, it sounds to me, if I'm picking it up correctly, is that you're fairly optimistic about the way that Australia is going to navigate through um, a, a transition in with regards to automation. I'm very optimistic that we can do it. Yeah, right. But whether okay. we will, I've got to say, political events of the last, you know, five years around so many of, uh, of yeah. so much of the world tell you that um, societies find it hard to respond to change. Mm. And we've got a lot of pressures. Uh, I would not count the threat to your job from automation mm. anywhere near the top, right? If you think about issues around the rise of right-wing populism, yep. climate change, you know, existing causes of mm. social deprivation and so forth. All of these things are very pressing. And automation probably will help us with, you know, at least some of those if we, if we yeah. get it right. Um, so you're listening to Joy 94.9, speaking with Jim Minifee from Alpha Beta. Um, I wanted to ask you, do you have a, a kind of a... Uh, a, a personal mission with regards to your work in in economics, with how you would like to, I guess, help help direct uh, policy. Uh, do, do, does Alpha Beta communicate with with sure social institutions, government institutions? Yeah, sure. And uh, you know, I mentioned before that I spent some years at the Grattan Institute as mm. well, which is absolutely focused on mm. on policy issues. I think economists do have a responsibility yep. to do work that is high quality, that is fair, that doesn't just feed into the interests of, yeah. you know, whoever happens to be paying them at the moment, but, you know, yeah. you've got to retain your integrity in any role. And so, of course, mm. I try to do that. And um, with respect to this skills and technology issue, that is one that Alpha Beta has got some real depth on. Mm. And absolutely, we don't just focus on, you know, how Firm X can exploit the technology we're thinking mm. pretty hard about these broader societal issues yeah and most people i think pretty much everybody in the firm has got that uh shared fascination and interest with the with the technology and we use a lot of advanced technologies in producing our work but yeah. at the same time feeling like you know you're members of society and you want to make a contribution yeah well jim uh i feel like i could talk about this all day 
<laughs> it occupies my mind frequently. Well, if you do it enough, we can just get a machine learning algorithm oh, to right, you know, yeah. learn and replicate what I'll just, you do. I'll just keep recording and some, something will solve it eventually. Um, I, I find it um, fascinating and um, I admit that I spend a, 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 a little bit of time worrying about it and then most of the time, as a creative person specifically, I, I remember that when I used the um, the tool on the ABC website, I, I plugged in, you know, performing artist. And it gave me something like 51% back, I think, was was the, at risk of automation. And uh, even then I went, okay, all right, well, I can work with that. And maybe that's partly what you talk about in terms of the age bracket. I mean, I'm 30. I've got plenty of career ahead of me. Uh, maybe I'm all right. But I, I do feel like that there needs to be a, a more urgent discussion about it more broadly. I think it's great you're talking about it. Yeah, that's a start, isn't it? <laughs> All right, Jim. Well, thank you so much for coming in, especially coming into the studio too. I know you're just across the street, but you know, still, no, I appreciate thank it. you. It's a real pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on. All right, speak to you next time. Thanks. Joy, you're listening to What Happens If on Joy ninety four point nine. All right, here he comes, Dan Roberts on the phone. Hello. Hi there. How are you doing? Hi. Good. How are you? Um, you're Daniel Roberts. I am. Can you hear me okay? How's the line? Yeah, it's really good. Melbourne can hear you. I've just popped you straight through. Oh, fair enough. <laughs> hey, you know as well as I do that I had no idea whether that was going to work or not. I couldn't <laughs> exactly. risk it. <laughs> I couldn't risk Fantastic. it. Fantastic. Yeah. Hello, Melbourne. I miss you so. Do you really? Do you miss Melbourne? Oh, no, no. I mean, yeah, ish. Oh, gosh. Gee, that went downhill quick. <laughs> oh, I really miss you. I, well, actually, now that I think about it for a second. <laughs> oh, no, I miss certain things. You know, I miss you. Oh, I miss you too. The show misses yeah. you. No doubt about that. Oh, well, thanks very much. Well, I, um, I've i just loaded up um, the podcast. So as I'm about to board a flight, I'm looking forward to hearing your um, previous episode. Oh yeah, um, rebuilding, rebuilding democracy. Yeah, that's right. That was a really good one. It was really interesting. Um, I spoke with the the mayor of the city. Of, uh, oh boy, I spoke with the mayor of uh, city of Yarra. He's um he's thirty, oh, yeah. like you and me. Oh, he's a cool dude. <laughs> yeah, well, at least, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was I was basically like, um, do you think that people can re- represent? Rep- do you think people in politics can represent the public? And he was like, no, nah, not really. <laughs> Yeah, right. Yeah. Is he an independent? Oh, yeah, obviously. yeah. He said, actually, he spoke about that. And listeners, if you're listening now, you should go back and listen to Ben, uh, Daniel Newen. His name's Dan, by the way. Uh, Daniel Newen, because, yeah. um, here, yeah, it was, it was actually really interesting because he said, that was one of the big things he said was, uh, that he feels like he's in a privileged position because he's not part of the sort of tit for tat between the parties. Yeah. Um, oh, good on him. Where are you right now? So right now I'm at the airport in Bangalore in India. Of oh, all places. Boy. Just checked in. Yeah. Just checked in. Checked into Bangalore. <laughs> I'm check well, I'm checking in for checking out. We've been in Bangalore for the last few days. Oh right. Um and we're flying off to uh Mumbai this morning. So you better tell us all um who we are. So I my new job is now I'm the rehearsal director at Bangara Dance Theatre. Wild um, applause just took place across. Thank you so the, much. The seven it's listeners. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hello, all seven of you. Mum and Dad, I know you've tuned in for this one. Yeah, That's yeah. Push us to nine. Yeah. 
gosh. So you're with one of our. You're working with one of our previous guests. Yes, I am. The yeah. lovely Daniel Ryan, who we had on the show. Um, what happens if I learn a language? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm now working with that guy and with the rest of them. It's mm. really, it's really awesome. Uh, we're here on tour, touring through India. We've just been in Delhi. Um, then we're in, that we're in obviously in Bangalore now and then Mumbai and then randomly we're off to Tokyo. So oh, not a bad tour, man. I must say. Do yourself a favor. I've said this before. I know I've said it before, but get yourself to Ikebukuro and get yourself some ramen. Oh boy, it's so good. Oh my God. I'm excited. So I, I just must spoke. say I've yeah. had plenty of curry. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, oddly enough, maybe it's not odd at all, but um, in Tokyo, there are a lot of Indian restaurants and really good ones. Well, uh, yeah, that's the thing. The Indian we have at home, no, 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 no. No, yeah, right. That is not what they eat here, people, and it's much better. It's much better here. Well, you'd hope so. Imagine if it was worse. Could you try? That'd be... Embarrassing, I think. Um, <laughs> that, can you can you talk us through like what what is it about the food? Is it is it just kind of a freshness because it's just it's just production line style curry where they're just making it all day every day, so it's so fresh. Oh yeah, it's fresh. Look, we've been really lucky because we're on tour and um, we're, we're being really well looked after. So all our meals have been provided for us. I stayed in a. Um, in an ashram in wow, and see how I said that ashram, yeah, ashram in um uh, Delhi, um, and uh, that was all was all vegetarian. All the meals were provided. You didn't even you didn't get to choose. It was just kind of like a, a uh. small selection, like buffet. Yeah, um, yeah, and it was just it was absolutely stunning. Um, I felt very namaste. Yeah, um, and. Yeah, it was, it was just, it's been lovely. It's been full on, you know. Yeah, um, you, you, I remember you saying that you, yeah, cause you, you said before you left that you really wouldn't have gone otherwise. Well, no, it wasn't, it wasn't high, it wasn't high on my list. Yeah. I like things, I like things to be easy. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. and it's, it's not particularly easy here, but you have, mm. to, but you have to get into the swing of it. I guess that's a good thing about being on tour is that you actually, you're forced to stay for a while. Yeah. So you do kind of figure things out. Now we're kind of halfway through or just past the halfway mark, even just managing things, managing the company, managing cars, buses, all that kind of stuff is mm. getting easier. Yep, but things yep, do yep. take time here. Yep. Hey, uh, I just yeah. spoke with Jim and we were speaking about, you know, automation and employment. And I actually thought it'd be really interesting to ask you, I mean, to speak about cult- culture shock, mm. is it sort of noticeable in an everyday sense about like inequality there and i mean i haven't been so i don't know what it looks like or, or feels like but i mean you there, there certainly is a, a quite a gap there where there's a there's a there's a large population of very very poor people in in poverty and then and then there's a it's also a, an extremely strong economy and i was speaking with jim about you know how what's the prospect that that's going to get a whole lot worse with you know, tech companies getting much richer, much quicker, and leaving everyone else behind is. Do you, do you get a sense on the ground that inequality there is is something that's, I guess, more tangible? Uh not really, because when you're a tourist, it's sort of not sort of not what I'm looking at. Although yeah. I have, I did have one conversation with someone else who works in the company, and she said to one of our guides, like, 
Uh, so where are all the houses? <laughs> I don't know. Like we've just been in cities and I can't, we can't yeah. really tell where anyone lives. They're metropolises, so, aren't they? They're quite large. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's a lot of apartments. Mm. Um, but so it's just different style, but I wouldn't, I don't, I don't know. Like mm. I, I don't know what the difference is. I don't know. I can't tell, um, any kind of classes. Obviously, there's really rich people yeah. and but i don't know i don't know what the equivalent yeah 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 i don't yeah, know yeah. i don't know how to describe it you'd have to yeah i mean i guess you'd just have to spend so much more time there wouldn't you and actually speak to people who have lived and worked there across decades who see shifts hey um speaking of class 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 systems um you had a little run-in with a couple of folks who are fairly well known at the moment Oh, speaking of class, hello. <laughs> what was she wearing? <laughs> oh, God, what was she wearing? I think she was wearing some... She was wearing like a... So we should oh, probably sorry, clarify, I we're met, speaking about Harry and yeah. Megan. <laughs> I met, um, yeah, Harry and Megan yeah. on the day they came to the Opera House. That was oh. like my second week on the job with Bangara. Good timing. Um, it was it was amazing. And wouldn't you know it, it's, it's, it's the gift that keeps on giving. Because I'm now part of a Chris Lilly video that's gone viral. Someone has edited Jamae doing her contemporary solo, her BCE contemporary solo, (laughs) and then edited Harry and Megan watching her, (laughs) and I'm in the video. (laughs) Did they meet Chris Lilly at the same moment? (laughs) Well, that's that's the way they've put it together. (laughs) They've they've taken the footage of them watching Bangara, but they've put... Oh, right. Oh, okay. I see. Right. Bangara. So there was yeah. a performance. So it's just, it's just incredible. Like that, someone sent me that video last night. I was like, this moment just gets better and better. It will live on forever now. <laughs> this, 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 um, hey, see, this is the brilliance of, you know, technology that 10 years ago, yeah. that would have never happened to you. No. You know what I mean? I thought, I thought being live on ABC iView was enough. <laughs> but now I will forever be, um, you know, remembered as the guy at the beginning of the Crystal Lee film. Well, at least I'll re- remember myself as that. Yeah, and and it looks like to everyone else that you actually watched him do that. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> so it's good on so many levels. Uh, it's just fun. It's really um, funny. Well, so people. so where are you off to next? You're 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 just leaving Bangalore, no? Yeah, we're leaving Bangalore. Bangalore's yep. beautiful, actually. We've yeah, had great. such a great time here. It's a lovely, lovely city. Oh, that's um, lovely. Mumbai, which is apparently where... Um, all the Bollywood stars live. Well, yeah. I wouldn't know any of them, but I'll be sure to. Well, knowing your track you record, know. you will soon. Yeah, I'll probably be in a Bollywood <laughs> You'll be, film. That's like right. Today. Well, I think we should try and catch up with you again when you're somewhere else along the journey because it's fun. I would love to. And hey, Jan, well done on carrying um, the show. You're doing oh, thanks, an absolutely mate. awesome job. Um, and I'm so happy that it's still going. I know. It's so much fun. Come back soon. I will. All right. Speak to you soon. Bye. Bye. Joy. Welcome back to Joy 94.9. You've been listening to What Happens If with Jan De Pietro. I'm going to leave you today with um, something that's just going to leave you feeling uh, like there's no hope in the world for someone who <laughs> writes music. <laughs> there's a program called Ava, and um, basically, um, in short, she can read, you know, tens of thousands of documents of music compositions and then make... Uh, soundtracks for movies and commercials and games and all such things and do it in hours and people tend to not be able to tell the difference between an ai creation and a human creation at this point um so i leave you with uh ava's genesis 
Symphonic Fantasy in A Minor. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help us keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.